Okay, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to finish chapter 6 today. It's been an amazing letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, not unlike our church in some ways, with the world around us and pressing in always. I want to talk today and start out and talk about gaslighting. You guys heard that term? It's kind of a political term. It's in our, you know, it is so ubiquitous. I don't know if you know what it, where it comes from or what it means. So it actually comes from a play written in 1938 called Gaslight and then was made into a movie in 1944 starring Ingrid Bergman. And the whole idea was this husband who tried to convince his wife of an alternate reality to make her think she was crazy. That really she would, and so he could put her in an asylum and then he could steal her inheritance. So the term has come to mean to kind of convince you of something that's not true is true. Gaslight. And we use it in Paul, but I'll tell you, this is one of the biggest levers and tools of this world and of Satan that there is trying to convince you that something's true that isn't true. There's a reality that you and I know, and the thing that fights that, that cuts through it like butter, is a sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we have this Word of God, and it cuts through these alternate realities that are are layered upon us and layered upon you, and Paul's doing that this morning for you and me. He wants you to have the truth. He wants you to be convinced of the truth. He wants you to stand on the truth. And the way you do it is you receive the actual message that's in the Bible. What is that? Well, he's been proclaiming it, right? It's the privilege of life to receive this word of promise. To proclaim the truth of it to you. I can't make you believe it, but I can proclaim it to you. (laughs) That's what I do. You study it, you bring it out here, this special place where we get to gather and hear again the promise of God's word. Paul has said things are not as they seem. That's been Paul's assertion to the Corinthians that we've looked at, no less today. God, it seems, should save the strong and the moral and the the, the advanced and the ones climbing. Instead, Paul says, God saves the little and the least, and the weak, and the nothing, and the sinners. Amazing, right? Paul says he's the worst, and he says, God met with me. Let me tell you a reality. It is at odds with your eyes. Somebody's gaslighting you. And the message is, we have this amazing treasure, you and I. Jesus Christ became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we have it in these jars of clay, The amazing wonder of the promise of God. These fallen bodies, this world we're in. And the reason God, Jesus Christ, became sin was because he loved you so much. So that we would become righteousness, goodness in his gift. This is the truth. Don't let it go. And so today, we're talking about being the temple of the living God. That's what you are. That's amazing. I want you to see it as Paul lays it out for us. But the first piece is we're going to disagree. We're going to be disagreeable people. Why? Because gaslighting's all around us. Let's look. That's the first thing to disagree, Paul says here in chapter 6. 
And, and we'll pick it up there. In verse 14, he says this. You know it's going to say, huh? Because I put a picture of two donkeys <laughs> yoked together. Do not, verse 14, be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop there for just a minute. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I know you've heard this verse before. I wouldn't even have to like put the verse reference up there. I could just tell you, hey, is it okay to be yoked with unbelievers? You say, no. You say, I've told my, you know, kid that who wants to get married. Because that's where you hear this all the time. You hear it in the context of marriage. Don't get in a relationship with someone who isn't a Christian. This is a pithy, nice thing to say. It makes logical, total sense. Right? So, so we say don't marry an unbeliever. Or secondly, we say don't get in a business relationship, a business partner with an unbeliever, someone that's not a Christian. I don't know, have you heard that? They're getting it from here. That's where it's coming from. And, and, and I think that, why, why do it, right? There's good reasons not to. I totally get the logic. I just want you to make sure you don't miss that that's not what Paul's talking about. There's no reference to marriage here. In fact, the Bible's going to say to some people, hey, you married an unbeliever, don't leave. Whereas if you were going to follow the logic here, it's like, man, there's no way you'd ever stick around. Something's going on here that's big and true, and you want to take it in. And I'm not saying, don't hear me say it all. Man, you should go out and make sure you marry an unbeliever. No, makes good sense not to. But I want you to see the depth of this. This is incredible. Paul's talking about something more common, more dangerous, more insidious. He's talking about gaslighting. And, and we're to focus on what we know to be true. You know it might not be smart to get married to an unbeliever, but it happens. not the end of the world. Peter talks about it. Stay married. It's not about avoiding the world, like never be in a business relationship with someone else. I mean, Paul said in the last book letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians, man, if I was going to tell you to avoid the world, I'd have to tell you to die because everyone's in the world. I mean, that's not the issue. That's not the problem. The problem is people who say they have this message, but they don't. That's a problem. Because what he's talking about is a total and complete change that has happened to your life. Say, well, I don't feel like I changed. Of course you don't feel like you've changed because it's not by sight, it's by faith, he said. By faith I received this promise that, that Jesus Christ actually died for me and that it worked. Right? I mean, that's the gospel. I, sinner, becoming righteous by the gift of God for me. And, and that's the message. And he says, don't you dare leave that work of God, this sacrifice of God that's a gift of God. Don't agree with anyone who doesn't trust this. Watch out, it's out there. In fact, Paul's most likely in this context speaking of his opponents in the church. Don't be unequally yoked with these A-believers, these ones who aren't trusting this message. He's strong, he keeps going. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Wow, don't be in a yoke pulling with someone who doesn't see Jesus as sin so that you're righteous in him. Don't be in a partnership with one who doesn't have this righteousness, a gift. Don't, don't be in fellowship, no accord, no agreeable, oh yeah, it's okay, there's just this one, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll paper over that thing. No, this is the, this is the thing. 
says Paul. Paul's not talking about the world out there where you enter in with people who want to make money and that's your goal too. So you go try and make money. He's not saying, watch out, they'll cut corners. He's as likely to say, you'll cut corners as they will, sinner. He's saying, watch out, your reason for living has changed. Has theirs? He's desperately worried about what matters. People who say they're Christians, they don't believe that Jesus became sin, that we became, that we became righteous by him as a gift. Who are those people? Well, they're all over, right? It's, it's a disease in the church. They're, they're on the left preaching a message of social justice. Good works is a way to get righteous, to climb to God. No. They're on the right, you know, preaching a message of discipleship, good practices, personally a way to get closer to God. No. We've got this amazing message. What is it? I'm righteous. A gift of God. I can open it like a present. It doesn't mean I don't still struggle in my marriage or I don't still struggle in my workplace or I don't have this besetting sin that I fight against because I hate it. I don't want to be in it. I want to be done. But you know where done happens? The resurrection. Oh, it's coming. That's Paul, right? Don't be in a yoke with someone who thinks righteousness is earned. Don't be a partner in the lawlessness of people standing in their self-centered progress. You are righteous by Christ alone. This is right at the core of who you and I are. Righteousness by the blood of Christ. Good by the blood of Christ. In light, this light that you and I have is the light of Christ for you and me. Not me for Jesus. That's darkness. So this is kind of a big deal, the gaslighting that happens. is to know the reality is, if you don't do these things, then, then you don't have God. No, whoa. That's an alternate reality, brother. The reality I know is Jesus Christ died for me. I'm going to stand on it. It means some things. We'll see. We're going to look at it. It means some things I'm going to do. There's some specific lenses I'm looking at life with. There's some ways that will shape my behavior and my actions. Amen and hallelujah. But, but, but it comes from this, right? I see you differently because righteousness is a gift to you. Huge. The most dangerous people in your life are the ones that gaslight you, that sound reasonable, but they paint another reality. Those who point to their strength and their achievements and their abilities and therefore sow discord against Paul. That's what Paul's talking about. These guys don't believe any more than the guy down the street corner who's yelling about Buddha. This is a big deal. It's not a little deal. Man, I don't like talking like this. I'm a natural uh, peacemaker. I want everybody to be happy. My wife gets so mad at me. She's like, stop asking me if I'm happy. I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you good? Yeah, are you happy? Yeah. I want us all to just like kumbaya together, right? That's what I want. I want everyone to be happy. But the reality is, I got to stand and give you the promise. And the promise Paul this morning is going like, watch out. There's actually things out there happening in the Christian community that he's calling unbelief. And it's about not receiving this gift. And, it's, it, and, and, and Paul goes through layers of this. 
Our righteousness, our goodness is only and forever in him. This is the faith I know, says Paul, and he says it to the Corinthians and through them to you and me. Faith in Christ for the unworthy, for the least and the little and the lost. Faith in Christ becoming sin for us, not Christ waving a wand to clean us. He died and paid. We killed God, man. It is us becoming righteousness in him, not us being righteous for him. Our righteousness, our goodness in him and not in ourselves. And don't be a partner with people who won't see it. That's what Paul's saying. What accord, he says, does Christ have with Belial? He actually says Belial. People are like, what are you talking about? Did he make a mistake? Idolatry. Right? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? The answer he wants you to have is none. None. It's a rhetorical question. Christ has no portion with those who worship self-righteousness, who bring their own offerings to God. He was offered for you. We share no portion in self-righteous works whatsoever. So the non-trusting, the apistos, the without faith people, the ones who trust themselves and not God, there's no portion to share. You go into the world and you're part of the world and you make money because you're in that system. You get up early and go to work. You, you put in a day's labor and you get paid. You're just like the world in that. That's not different. That's not part of our faith. I just, man, I'm going to make that part of being a Christian. No, it's not. You do that with everyone else in the world and you go for it. But the reality of what you have in Christ, your knowledge that you are what we're going to just see, the very temple of God. Oh, I've got something you can't even touch. incredible so it might make some sense for you not to get married to someone who doesn't share your worldview i get that i counsel against it it might be wise to have a christian business partner it's a little harder because your goal may or may not match hers or his but it's horrible not doable to be in committed community with those who don't See Jesus becoming sin so that you become the righteousness of God in him. Who don't see Jesus became sin so you become righteous. Who want self-righteousness. Who promote personal obedience or personal discipleship or personal advancement or personal reform as the pathway to righteousness. You already got it. Who paint grace as enabling power to be a better you who proclaim a different gospel. So stop with me for a minute and consider why that's so amazing, what our faith actually is. It's, it's, it's radical. Let me just, let me give you one little radical piece from that central statement of 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because I was talking with someone today about atheists, you know. An atheist comes and says, you know, there's a huge problem you Christians have. What's the problem? Here's the problem. There's, there's evil in the world. You got a good God who can do anything and he doesn't stop the rape and murder of, hor- of things across the entire world. Wh- who is this God who allows these horrible things? Why does that happen? Rather be an atheist than know a God who allows that to happen. Whoa. 
I know the normal answer is, well, you know what? God is perfect, but people are fallen. and People do evil things, and God's not responsible for sin, and that's a good answer. It's true, but I've got something better. What do I have? I've got Jesus Christ became sin. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ on a cross. I'm still not making a connection, Dex. Let me help you make a connection. The righteous anger that you feel at the injustices of the world, you pick up your stone and you throw them at the person who became that, who's in, who's in, who is that? Jesus Christ. God put the serpent up on the stick. What's the serpent? The one who bites you. The plague of your life. The one who's not treating you as you think ought to be. The injustices that you see with your little mind and your little heart and your community. And you get mad like, like, like some sort of BLM riot. And you, go, and you go break some window. But you break it on the body of Christ because he's there for that. He became sin. All the ways in which you want to get angry at God, rightly, justly, and you want to throw that because it's not fair. And you say, it's not fair how I'm treated and how that person's treated and that. You put it all and you throw it on who? The atheist has nobody. You throw it on, I don't know, let's find a bad person and kill them. God says, I've got my son. And we lift him up like the serpent. And you throw everything and your madness and your anger and your righteous anger. And you, throw, and you realize the very stone you're throwing means you're judging who? God. And the stone that you throw condemns you like you self-righteous person thinking you can judge God. This is our faith, you know, that Jesus Christ became sin. He took on himself every wrong and every evil and everything that man has, including the stone by which he was killed and he died. So that I am not judged for any of that. This is the only faith I have. This is the only way I know. This is the only message that makes sense. This is the thing, right? He became sin. We aren't guilt-free, not in the least, having a hand in questioning the God who made you. And we question him all day long because I don't like the circumstances that are around me. I want to judge them. I want to be the one that declares this is not good. And I will be... And, oh my goodness. I killed Jesus. This is huge. You're given the incredible, humble, real, unending, loving goodness of that God who came. He was indeed the serpent lifted up. He was the actual representation of what was plaguing you and killing you. But it turns out as you look at that one, you are saved. The one that you hated. I'm telling you this is the truth. That the trust, the belief, the faith that sets you free. Because he loves you, he gives to you. You are his forever. Your evil upon him. Your wrongness swallowed up by his gift of rightness to you because he was not that way. He is perfect and humble and pure and true. What agreement, Paul writes, has the temple of God with idols? Idols, really? That's, that's yourself, you you make the idols that you worship in the temple of God, this indwelling spirit. Wait a minute, the temple of God then, what, what is he saying? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. The idols of yourself, the idols of all your achievements, the idols of all things you do. What does that temple of God have to do with that? And, and, and boy, if only I was the temple. Wait a minute. You and me. Is it true? Wonder of wonders. 
we're the temple. Do you, do you, do you see? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Whoa! That's why we have no consideration from those who want to gaslight to have another reality, the reality of self-righteousness. Not that you might become the temple if you act a certain way. Not if you, by your great obedience, get to climb up to this position of God. You are the temple of the living God. Wow! The only place I know that's true is here. I look at you and like, no way you're the temple of God. I know you. And then the word of promise comes. And God, and he's quoting from Isaiah, Paul strings together a variety of, of, of verses here to say this from God to you and me. Not that we might get to be the temple. You are, he's using the plural, speaking to the saints who trust in Jesus, who are in this community. And he's saying, this is all standing on this truth. You are the temple of the living God. Stop, consider, rejoice. Christ in you, this is the whole point of your life. You are. How? By promise. Paul putting together these quotes, right? From the law and the prophets to make his point. And he promises that these are unconditional promises that he just said, that's an unconditional promise. I will. And he says, I'm applying that to you. And, and then he has a conditional one like this one. Therefore go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You are different than anyone who thinks they build the temple, that their offerings being God close, go out from their midst, separate from them, and you have by trusting that Jesus has done it all, and so this conditional promise is yours too. I'm your dad, and you're my sons. And actually, the original text doesn't say this, so Paul's making very clear to make sure that everybody's together. He says, sons and daughters. You are daughters of the Lord Almighty. (laughs) That's who says this. The Lord Almighty, the one who makes everything. He says, I will be a father to you. He has all the power and strength and ability. And he says what is true. And there is no gaslighting, only powerful truth forever. I mean, this is what God says of his temple. Here, I I pulled this one out for you from 1 Corinthians. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Who's God's temple? You. God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. Well, I might be that temple if I do that. No, 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 no. Paul is saying to his people, these, this conditional and unconditional promises are yours in Christ because Christ fulfilled them, the conditions. That's the idea. You've got it. And, and, and so I see the word of promise that says to me this, and it doesn't come as a conditional maybe. It's not a word of promise if it's an if then. It's a word of promise that says this is what is true of you by trusting in what Jesus done. It's receiving the reality. It's opening the gift. You've got it. This changes how you think and do. And because it does, don't be yoked with someone who's not there. 
Don't be like, yes, this is the word of God together and you speak one word and they speak the opposite. And it's not talking, you speak the word of of the gospel and they speak the word of Buddha. Although if you go to the end of what some people are saying, Christianity, it sure sounds the same. They're saying they're Christians. And they're saying you're not his unless you do some stuff. What stuff? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Whatever they say, it's wrong. Because you don't do anything. God did it all. He did it and it's finished. Jesus said it's finished and it's true. It's finished. Jesus did it or he didn't. Do you trust that? I'll tell you what the work of your life is to actually trust that because I don't want to. Constantly putting myself back in the game and more importantly, I'm constantly putting other people around me back in the game. Like I know Jesus did this, but I look at you and you are such a piece of work. Man, you need to clean up. You know what the truth is? We all need to clean up. But maybe not in the way you think. So it's not just about being disagreeable. Sometimes you've got to be disagreeable about what? The gospel. You also got to shower. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> you do. Paul says this actually affects you. If this isn't a couch potato message. This isn't one that just sits you around and does nothing. This isn't like, here we are, now we got this. Oh, this is such the truth of the Bible. I get it by promise. Yes and amen. And um, 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 okay, now I'm back to doing whatever else I was doing that, that doesn't really change. This changes you. How? Well, look at this one little verse right here. This is the end of the passage that he's talking and he'll shift into something else next week and we will do in chapter 7, verse 2. But this is chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Okay, let that soak on you for a minute. And for some of you, this made you scared. Because you go, wait, wait, Dax, you just gave and now you're taken away. No, Paul's saying this. Paul, I, my, my whole thesis for you this morning is I'm speaking to you of Paul, and Paul's saying, watch out for gaslighting because there's people with an alternate reality. They think you work your way to God. They think the strong and the good and the powerful and, the, and, and, and those are the ones you should be listening to. And here I am, nothing and beaten and, and calamities and, and horrible, and I don't speak well, and, and I'm the worst of sinners. And, and here I am speaking to you saying, I've got the message, and they don't. And then you're hearing, but Paul, aren't you supposed to get from you to them? That's not the cleansing he's talking about, right? We live by promise, dear people, not by sight, not by achievement, not by our love, not by our works, not by our discipleship advancement, not by our actions, but by promise, hearing and receiving the absolution of what Christ has done for us. And that means beloved people. Take a shower. This isn't the same use I'm making it like Rachel Hollis or whatever her name is. It's like, girl, wash your face. You guys see that book or whatever? That's like buck up, buttercup. Like put on a good face to the world. Maybe someday you can fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. She's after doing your part, a little self-help for a better life. That's gaslighting. Like a better life involves you and your effort. No, Paul says, take a shower, wash away, clean off the defilement of body and spirit. These are self-righteousness, anti-faith, anti 
anti-promised ways. We are steeped in them together. The world does, uh, does afflict us. And we start to think, it says, take a shower, wash them off, be pushing away this defilement. The defilement's not, 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 oh, you need to make sure that you're doing more good things for God. The defilement is, I'm not trusting that Christ is for me. I got all this residual thought process stuff that I, you know, I kind of need to lay on the couch and talk it out. Open your eyes, these scrub at them, these ways in which you think that are not according to promise, and they're all over. I judge people in a heartbeat. I put expectations onto people that are not God's, they're mine. I do this. It's partly how I've been brought up. It's partly because I've listened to years of improperly yoked people yapping about post-conversion works to keep you in God's favor. I just, I slip into it. And I'm like, well, they can't actually be the temple of the living God and be doing that. No, they are the temple of the living God. That's the bedrock. And then on top of his man, yeah, they shouldn't be sinning. It's a good thing Jesus forgave that. I think I should go make sure they know that Jesus forgives sin. You know, I read Dallas Willard. He says, I can be closer to God by doing certain behaviors. Scrub that stuff off. It's not true. I don't mean to make ill of the dead. He's not alive anymore, I don't think. I listen to so-called Christian counselors who are gaslighting people to think that the reality is you will be a sin-free and changed, better person if you're really God's. Where does it say that in this word of promise? It doesn't. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He's not talking about 10 years ago. He's saying now, that's in the present tense. He's afflicted, you know. He hates his sin. Don't get me wrong. He hates it. I hate that I sin. I hate that you sin. I don't want you to sin ever. But you know what? You do. Look to the serpent and live. He's the one that forgives. I hear people online in books saying that God wants your best life now, that somehow with the right prayer and the right action on your part, God would bless you and give you what you really want. That is not reality. God's not interested in giving you what you really want because what you really want is the fires of hell. We hate God's grace and mercy. I want to be the hero. I want to be the person God says, you're doing it right, Dax. Instead, the only person who does it right is Jesus. What he gives me is forgiveness for the ways I do it wrong. God has given you, me, us, more than I could ever imagine for you or for me. And it's not strength here and money in this world. It's that he has made you and me his temple. And he just promised me and you, son and daughter, that he is our father. Oh my that's so fabulous by promise. And I'm, I'm tempted to gravitate towards the wealthy or the powerful or the ones who have ability. Scrub it off. See with God's eyes. You want to be with ones who have this indwelling spirit and are jars of clay. And I don't mean the band. Got to keep saying that. I have it. Isn't that sad? I get in my... Dun, 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 dun. No, that's not it. It's like, no, 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 actually, that means broken people. That means people who don't do it right, people who struggle, people who fall into sin. This is what it means. Rinse and repeat. Wait for the coming of Jesus. Why? Because this is the implication, the completion of holiness. Why? Because holiness is something that has been done to us by Jesus. The promise. 
What are you saying? I'm saying it's the same holiness as this. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That's this whole thing Paul's been talking about. You are the temple of the living God. You have the indwelling spirit. You are in Christ righteous. Because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification. That's holiness. The same word. And redemption. You want to bring holiness to completion. You means you're waiting for the holiness to arrive. His name is Jesus. He's not talking about climbing up the holiness ladder. We are surrounded by a world that thinks otherwise. Christians are the ones who suggest something else. Wash off the world's views. Take a shower. Come back to the wonder of the cross. This is, this is Paul today. You are the temple of the living God. Oh my. This is the best, most wondrous things you ever could have. Paul has his eyes fixed on Jesus became sin and we became righteous in him. This is the message. Our sins forgiven forever in Christ. Our hope in and only in him. Wow. Not ourselves. And don't be agreeable to anyone who doesn't believe that. Don't just nod and let it go. You can't. There's no yoke. There's no partnership. There's no fellowship. There's no accord. There's no portion, says Paul. Don't get gaslit that life is about you accomplishing anything. That doesn't mean do nothing. That means you're going to live accordingly. You're going to hope in this righteousness for you. You're going to clean up. You're going to take a shower. The, your life and the, the, the eggs in your basket being about this Jesus forever. I'm going to trust that. That's where my trust is. Because you are the temple of God and so is the person next to you who believes this with you. Live like it's true. Ephesians 2 says, In him you are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God, by the Spirit. God will forever dwell with us. And we have it now by promise. Not by sight, but by faith. You are the temple of the living God. Just wait. You are the temple of the living God by promise. You are the temple of the living God and Jesus died to make it so. Don't think anything else. Receive him. The Lord Almighty is a father to you forever. Look to the serpent and live. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this passage, the wonder of it. And Lord, we who are gathered here, there might be someone who eyes are opened even today to the wonder that it's all about what you've done. And Lord, we proclaim the forgiveness of our sins because of you, Jesus, on the cross forever. Oh, how we want to worship you, that you promised that we're your temple, that you've given us a father because of what you've done, Jesus. Help us to stand in this world that doesn't know it, to proclaim with the sword of the Spirit your word, the truth of the message of the gospel. We love you, Lord. We praise your name this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.